news, commentary, technology, preparedness, and pop culture. From Nashville, Tennessee, the home of hot chicken. I'm Jess, the straight Christian conservative one. And I'm Chris, a gay Buddhist libertarian. We will explore today's issues with opposing viewpoints. And feature guests with incredible or unique stories. We may see things differently. But in the end, this is... Still, still love, love you, bro. bro. Wow, what a good intro there. Hey, we finally got it. After I like know. 14 episodes. <laughs> it, it took a while. It took a while, but I think that was quite worth it. It was really smooth, and I'm liking it. I guess. So then we'll just change it now that we've got it down. Exactly. We'll just completely change the script. And I actually have that memorized, Chris. I don't think I've looked at the script for at least four or five episodes. Well, uh, maybe that's why we mess up, but I'm older, so I have to look at it. No, I think I've only, I think it was like two episodes ago where I just completely flubbered it. Yeah. (laughs) We just kept going. That's okay. How are you, listener? Great. It's good to hear. We're doing good. I think it's a it's a Friday when we're recording this one, so I think we're extra energetic for the weekend. Yeah, I'm just excited to be off work. This yeah. has been one of those weeks. I'm happy that this week is over. I feel like we say that all the time. We do. But we have a special guest today. Chris, can you introduce our guest? Yeah, I will. So we have Craig joining us in the studio today. Hey, Craig. I guess. How's it going? Great. So one of the things I hear a lot is we're from the government and we're here to help. <laughs> and um, and I get a big kick out of that. I I know a lot of people that work in the government sector. <clears throat> Craig's joining us today. He actually works for a government agency that is typically here to help, right? So Craig works for FEMA. Tell us what you do for FEMA. Yeah, so I am a uh, spokesperson for the agency, not only just on a regional aspect, but nationally as well. Okay, so you're no stranger to the mic. That's good. We'll have a lot of questions. <laughs> Yeah, my mics and, and video cameras are in front of my face every time gotcha. I, I get called so out. So what, what exactly do you do? Like, yeah, so really is what my job title is, is to spread the message or the um, the action points that survivors post a disaster uh, need to know in order to get that federal assistance. That, that help that you're there to provide. The quote-unquote air quotes here, help, yes. Gotcha. <laughs> Okay, so you travel all over the country, all over the world, and um, advise the public. Yeah, I'm, typically I will only go out for large-scale disasters. You so know, what does FEMA consider large-scale? Well, any disaster that the state cannot handle on a state level, no matter where it is, be it uh, any of the 50, uh, 50 states or any of our... Um, Territories. Uh, territories, yeah, thanks. Like Guam, your Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, uh, places like that, we, so we respond essentially to. essentially when that local government says, hey, we need assistance, that's mm-hmm. when your group comes in and that's starts correct. to act. Yep. You also said that, you know, with the, those communications, you're talking about survivors and, and uh, how they can get help directly from FEMA. So your communication happens post-disaster. That's do you right. do anything pre-disaster, or is it you're just focused on the post-disaster communication? No, no. We have teams uh, that we call IMAT teams, incident management action teams. So if we know that a hurricane's about to make landfall somewhere, one of those IMATs will go out. You get a planning officer, um, logistics, operations, and a PO as well mm. in that team. They're there before a storm hits. Uh, but majority of things that we respond to are after the fact, right? Right. So you got the local resources, uh, you know, in the community, they can't handle it, right? So they call the state. State can't handle it. It's beyond their ability. So then they call in uh, the federal government. So as far as disasters, how many do you think you've been to in your career? Uh, 14 large ones. Okay. What I call large, right? Sure. So that's your hurricanes. That's your massive tornado outbreaks, uh, floods, blizzards. 
you know, th- Ooh, those, are, think those, of that one. those are things yeah. that I've responded to. We had to. that um, huge freeze in Texas where they shut down some power grids. Were you yeah. there for that? That was Houston, yeah. Houston area. Yeah, that was huge. Like electric companies from all over the country went to help. So them. that was a federal response. I did not go on that. Okay. Okay. That's we, interesting. Yeah. We had, um, I remember when I was in high school, again, I, I don't date myself on the show, so I'm not going to say what year. No, we um, take care of that. Yeah, but we uh, yeah, Chloe helps with that. Um, I remember I was I was just out of high school, and there was a massive ice storm that hit hit our our town, and um, I mean we were talking sheets of ice for days, um, and this was in the the late nineties. I'll at least give that up, and uh, and it was rough because we had never and I had never seen that much snow here. I mean nothing, and then all of a sudden it was like sheets of ice for days. Yeah, I believe I remember that because going back to dating ourselves, you know. I, yeah. I, I vividly remember uh, missing at least a good two and a half, maybe three weeks of school because of that. Oh yeah! Wow, you're 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 a few years younger than me, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. yeah. So you're probably still in school. Yeah, I just remember, and and nobody could drive. I mean, it took literally a, a ten minute drive to my house. Took about an hour. Mm-hmm. It was rough. I remember something like that when I was in high school. Um, I I remember it because I was a part of the um, cert team at that time. And trying to drive to the weather center where um, I was helping out, I actually ended up spinning out on the road because it was so icy um, and then got stuck in a yard and <laughs> proceeded to be pulled out by a trucker who decided to stop and help me. But right. um, So ice really storms are, I think, are a little bit different because after an ice storm, it just melts and goes away. But That's when right. we talk about tornadoes and hurricanes, um, those are a lot more devastating. So. And we've had flooding actually here recently where a lot of people lost, you know, all their possessions or, or their homes are completely destroyed and, and didn't have flood insurance. So what types of things are available for people uh, that that have experienced a disaster? I know you, you know, you will tell them uh, when you get there, but generally speaking, are there resources if, if you your house got flooded and you didn't have flood insurance? Yeah. So a lot of times when it comes to flooding situations – People don't know that they have to have flood insurance, right? Surprise. Yeah, surprise. And your insurance company isn't going to cover it because you don't have a uh, you don't have a flood policy, right? So specifically, flood is its own policy. So your average homeowner probably doesn't have flood insurance, mm-hmm. no matter how much coverage you have on your home. So, right. so let's think back to 2010 in Nashville with the with the large flood in Nashville, right? In surrounding areas, places that have never flooded before flooded and so those people were out right their insurance wasn't going to cover it both the structure and the contents because a flood is what caused that wow if they had flood insurance then it would have and these will these folks weren't even on a floodplain or anything they, they had weren't. no reason nope. to think that they needed flood mm-hmm. insurance but that doesn't make sense because i have insurance on my home and i have um, I think it has acts of God and things in that nature. So are they saying that I don't have a specific tornado insurance? I don't have right. that's an wind insurance. Yeah. Is flooding not considered an act of God? Nope. Wow. Wow, that's kind of convenient, isn't it? Yeah. So are insurance agents not offering these to people? You because can. they typically don't live. I mean, I've never heard, and I haven't been through a lot of insurance companies, but I've never heard them say, oh, you should need flood insurance. Is that because they've looked at my address and says I'm not in a floodplain you're, or they just don't sell it? No, you're Every insurance company sells it. It's the fact that you're not in a floodplain. Your address is not flagged in their system, right? So, uh, in fact, I'm not in a floodplain where I live. The gentleman across the street is. So that's something so, you need to really look into, perhaps. Yeah, it's it's not expensive, right? 
well, it's expensive if you don't have insurance. Especially if you're insurance. not in a floodplain. Yeah, but in 2010, there's a lot of people who wish maybe an agent somewhere said, hey, by the way, this is inexpensive and probably not likely to happen, but would you like to add flood? I mean, like I live earthquake. in a country, I live in a rural area, and the last time I updated my home insurance, they like they offered me incidental farming. Mm-hmm. And and it was very cheap. And it, I guess if somebody brings a horse over and it gets hurt or hurts me, but um, you know they offered little things like that. So why incidental farming? Incidental farming. I've never heard that. No, I haven't either. I haven't either. But I'm covered. If you have a tomato <laughs> incident in my yard, um, but why Slip aren't insurance companies now saying, hey, look, you know, we offer this. You may not need it. You're not in a floodplain, but here's what's happened. Because if you're not in a floodplain, they don't have to sell it to you. Sure. I think it's a requirement if you're in a floodplain, right? If you're plane, in right? a floodplain, they have to at least advise you of it and mm-hmm. the ramifications as to what would happen if they don't. You're, you know, if what would happen to you if you do not get flood insurance and then there's a flood? Because all these people, both where we live locally and uh, with the most recent flooding event here and also in Nashville back in 2010, uh, those people were out, right? They, they're not getting their insurance money. So what's the next available option? Part of that, when the federal government got called in, is through the SBA loans, Small Business Administration. People think that, oh, I'm a homeowner. I can't get an SBA loan, right? They hear business in the acronym. Well, that loan is uh, payable for a couple decades, and it's uh, very low interest, like, 0.0 0.0 of a percent interest. Wow. That is, if you don't have that insurance, that's your next step, right? If you don't so, have that flood insurance. So just to clarify, FEMA doesn't come in and say, here's a grant, let's you know replace your drywall. FEMA doesn't issue any money. They advise you to go to the Small Business Association or administration. Right. And so... Is there an approval process? Like all these yeah. people in 2010, I mean, you know, I, I know somebody who woke up and their house was flooded and they obviously didn't have insurance and, it, you know, the cost of repair was completely on them. And I think they probably didn't know about any resources yeah, so at the time. So the, they apply for an SBA loan. When you're going through the disaster application process, right, a flood or a tornado, a hurricane, what, what it, whatever it is comes Except, through. Yeah. You fill out that disaster uh, disaster application, and that opens the door for several different programs, right? You talk about grants. The, FEMA does provide grants, but that is only requested by the state, right? So say you get denied from an SBA standpoint, which is, I don't want to say rare, but... Um, but it can uh, happen. It can happen, yeah. And so if you get denied then yes, you may be eligible for a, a grant. Granted, you may get you know $100,000 for from the SBA. Your grant may only be 10000 right? Right. There, there's little small increment grants. Um, another grant, talking about hurricanes, when uh, they come through, power's out for weeks a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is a grant to reimburse you for your generator, right? Uh, reimburse you for uh, initial expenses for food. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you lose all the the food in your fridge. So So those are the, quote-unquote, using air quotes again, grants that that FEMA offers. Majority of it comes from uh, the SBA. Without a presidentially declared disaster, the SBA would not open that program up. Wow. So in a small-scale flooding event, 
that maybe only affects a neighborhood and the state doesn't declare a disaster and, and the federal government doesn't, then those people... They're out. They're completely out. Really? Wow. So not a state program, I guess, or that just depends on per state. Per right? state? Yeah. I mean, well, you look at you look at Alabama, for instance. They have tornadoes that come through there frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, a rash of them came through, I believe, in March of this year. Not too long ago, right. yeah. Um, Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, all of those. And they just got declared. And that was because, you know, the state typically handles uh, things that occur in the state of Alabama. They're well enough off. They they just handle it themselves right. and rarely call in the federal government. Mm. And yet we, we have the same thing here in Tennessee uh, with the with the flooding event locally a few months ago. And uh, I was personally affected by that from a family member. And they're like, how come we, we're not getting declared? And I'm like, well, it's because the state's still doing preliminary damage assessments. Well, how can you do a damage assessment when people's already picked up their stuff? Right. Right. Was was the tornado outbreak, um, I think it was, what was it last year March, we had? March was, 3rd. Yeah. I, yeah. Was that declared? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I Davidson, wasn't sure. Davidson, Williams, or Davidson, Wilson, and Putnam got declared for okay. that. Okay. Okay. It just, it, 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 I can't imagine how, how it feels to wake up in this flooding event and, you know, finding feet of water in your home and then finding out that there's nothing you can do. And I think one of the other problems too, I I have a friend who lives in Florida and um, he was there. He stayed through a hurricane. He's, he's a, he's an old bird from Tennessee. I'm not leaving my house. And um, you know, and he just (laughs) like, he floated all through it. But the problem he had after was you have hundreds of homes damaged and you have a small amount of contractors so now you have a huge influx of people, you know, needing to tarp roofs, needing to replace roofs and windows and, you know, basic services. And there's only a few people locally. So then you get these people coming from, you know, miles away, uh, ambulance chaser type people. So you really, you know, you could end up with a local contractor or somebody out of state that does you wrong. But it was so bad. He was he was contacting friends here in Tennessee asking them to go to Home Depot and send him roofing nails. Like they mm-hmm. were out of nails at, in Home Depot because of that rush of things. And that, and you don't really think about that because the first thing your thoughts is, well, I've got to get this water out of my house. I've got to replace all this stuff. But there's lot, there's not a lot of stuff immediately after a disaster to fix things. Yeah. I, and with the tornadoes, I was, I remember that. I had um, someone from a church uh, that I went to that their house got, um, they had a whole section taken out of it by the tornado and they rode it out, you know, thankfully they were downstairs in a safe area, but, um, they, they took some severe damage. So we all went and helped them out and, you know, they had trouble finding tarps. All the tarps were sold out and everyone was using tarps and similar things with construction materials and boards. Those prices shot up as well. Cause they were running out really quick. Um, and chainsaws, I think they bought a lot of chainsaws. Someone bought a lot of chainsaws yep. and and those generators, those go yeah. quick. And I know people have medical needs for a generator. Mm-hmm. They can't go look for a generator themselves. And then when they find somebody that, that can, there's no generators left in the stores. This all goes back. We we talk about preparedness in the intro. We haven't really talked a lot about preparedness, but, you know, start adding to the list because we've, uh, through these 14 episodes, we've talked about all these things and a lot of it's digital preparedness. Make sure you, you know, have secure passwords and, and prepare yourself from from protecting on and protecting your information. But 
Think about where you live. You may not have ever had your home flooded, but there's a lot of people, thousands of people that happens to every day. So be prepared by getting flood insurance. Ask your agent about it anyway. If it's if it's cheap, it's a small gamble, right? Sure. I and, mean, have a generator. If you know that you need a generator, find a little generator and keep it in the garage. And well, and also we're talking about flooding. Keep a lot of essential things on a high shelf. You know, if you if you've got a bug out bag with food in it or or with a, or a generator. I know it's heavy, but if things get flooded, that's not going to be a thing that could be salvageable, especially, right. you know, like my dad, uh, my family, we've always had bug out bags. I think we got on the whole, the prepping uh, craze that was uh, a couple, several Wait, years ago. Tell me, do you have a 55 gallon drum full of supplies buried in your backyard at the farm? It's not buried, but we have several okay. that are at the farm. <laughs> I'm sure they're just, ready to I be buried. I needed to know but, to what level you were prepping. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing is they did actually have... Um, quite a bit of supplies and uh, at, at the old house. And now they have plenty at the, at the farm because, well, they raise animals. So we've got a good supply, but you know, when we're talking about floods. I'm just thinking, you know, if, if all your quote unquote bug out stuff, all your preparedness things are on the lowest level of your home um, and you flood, well, you're going to have, uh, it's going to be wet. Yeah. You're going to have to eat wet food or have, you know, get your wet bag and go somewhere. Yeah. You know? People keep a lot of that stuff in a basement. Yeah. It's the worst yeah. place for it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, I hate opening up and finding wet beanie weenies. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, if man. only the can would work though. And there's a lot of little things that you can do to prep and, and you don't have to be the level of, you know, of some of the preppers you see on the internet. No, but, no. Um, what are some small things that people can do just to help? I mean, they're, they're, even a storm could roll through and it happened today here at the studio, a little, you know, lightning hit a mile away and the power went out for a second, right? So what are some little things that people should do to be prepared for small or large disasters? Yeah, I always have important documents, at least a copy of them somewhere mm, safe. Something right? we don't think about. Um with your, um, when we're talking about things that you can eat or drink, always have a couple gallons of water just sitting somewhere. You know, you, we all need water to survive. So hold on. There's usually, I have I have some gallons of water that I keep for a humidifier, but there's an expiration printed on there. So that shouldn't matter, right? I don't think water it's expires. In a plastic I don't container. I mean, yes. it may taste a little plastic, yeah. you know, have yeah. a, a plastic taste I'm to saying it. that to say a lot of people don't prep things as soon as they see an expiration. And I'm, I'm a little OCD. Like, I look at expiration dates on groceries as soon as I pull them out of the bag from the store. But um, it's okay to have jugs of water, even though there's an expiration date on them, sitting around. Because if if, if it really gets bad enough, you will appreciate stale water. Right. Well, you're talking about them beanie weenies? If they're a couple years old and I'm hungry... Yep. I don't have anything else to eat. I mean <laughs> yep. it. And the thing exactly. with the, you know, maybe there's a good alternative with the water thing. You know, if you have one of those old glass um, jug things, you know, it's. I don't think the glass is going to impart any flavor like right. the plastic would. So, uh, who knows? There's there's probably a lot of people that have figured yeah. that out. So anyway, important documents, and I get that. I have I have a lot of photos. Like uh, I know this is strange. Like they're not all online. I actually have printed photos. <laughs> They're these little for our listeners who are of a of a younger generation. It's a little square that has an image on it that's on paper. Everybody laughs because I've got <laughs> I've still got one of the little instant cameras. But anyway, I have a oh, lot man. of photos that I've taken. I've scanned them, but if the internet ever goes away, I want them. So I have them and some documents like lined up in my closet. And and so everybody in my home is instructed if there's a fire, you go to this closet and you get these three boxes. I will at least have pictures with me if something happens. But so anyway, go on. What else? I mean, keeping water, important documents. Important documents and always have a plan, right? We may never use it, but it's good to just have a plan. Sit your family down 
you know, be it a fire or a tornado, you know, what do we do? Because at least here in Tennessee, majority of our tornadoes happen in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, where are you going to go? Where's the meetup place? You know, who are we going to reach out to? Have that one point of contact away from here that everybody can call in the event something happens, you know, yeah. to check in with. Which is the old school way of being marked safe on Facebook. Yes, yes, yeah. And, you know, just little things like that that we don't really think about in our day-to-day lives. Sure. But yet whenever, you know, we see the the crawler on the bottom of a television screen or we hear the tones on the radio, you know, talking about a tornado or flood warning or what have you, you know, that's when we start thinking about that. Let's think about that also on a bright, sunny day. Right. right. You know? Sometimes that's too late to think about that. That's right. And yeah. add medicine. I guess, you know, we you can't yes. just keep medicine aside with your with your pictures, but, you know, be able to have all your medicine at least stored in the same location so you can grab it because it, it, would, it would stink if you had to leave your home because of flooding and you forgot your blood pressure medicine. It's going to go up anyway because water's coming to your home. You know, make sure you can grab your medicine yep. yeah, as and well. Especially if you actually rely on it. Uh, you know, there's some medications that you don't want to just stop taking. You know, you, you probably should have a good 30-day supply of those kinds of medications. Yeah. And I'm sure you can speak with your doctor about that. And it's like, you know, you know just in case, I'd like to have some, you know, in, in the closet ready to go. Sure. But um, those have expiration dates. Some of those do. Like insulin is a big one. And I, I, I knew a, a friend of mine who is a type 1, and uh, his supply of insulin, I think he's got, um, you know, at least a month ahead of time. But what happens if the refrigerator breaks? You know, it's, then that's, that's a big problem. And one other point is next to wherever you keep those items, have you a set of boots? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Yeah. because you think about a tornado comes through. You don't want to be walking around barefoot oh, yeah. or with uh, flip-flops on. Oh, yeah. There's debris everywhere. You you want... There's what? What did you say? Debris. It's... <laughs> The stuff laying on the ground after a tornado. He says words sometimes that just, he, he pronounces them how he thinks they should be pronounced. Debris is what he's trying to say. <laughs> yes, it's debris all over the place. Now, yes. I, ha- I, have said, I have said derbs before. <laughs> it's debris. We're allowed to have our, yeah. our words, right? That's right. That's right. But, I mean, have, some, have something to be able to cover your feet. You know, a lot of people don't think about that. And then sure. whenever, you know, your first responders get there, you got more people injured because of simple things. Yeah, like, like nails walking over nails. Glass. And, yeah. 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 So that just saves them and you some some pain. And that that's a good thing to think about what you just said. Um, more people injured than, mm-hmm. than necessary. Adding if, to the right. load of the first responders. If you are not equipped... If you see someone who needs rescued and you are not equipped to do that rescue, do not attempt it. Right. You are going to, it's more likely that you're going to get injured or you're going to get in that situation yourself. And that's another person for a first responder to deal with. Um, you know, when uh, back back in, uh, in college, when I was uh, at a fire department as a volunteer, um, they taught us that a lot. They taught us that, you know, a fire a firefighter without his tools is nothing but a well-dressed spectator. You're not going to be able to do anything to help the situation. You're only going to become a part of the problem. Yep. Um, that's why you see, you know, when video videos of people's houses burning down, they're trying to run in and get stuff. You see firefighters tackling them. We don't want them going in there because that's just going to add more to the problem. As soon as you get a whiff of that smoke, if you don't have any protective equipment, you're going to go down. And it's the same in those disasters. If you have someone trapped or someone... 
um, that is uh, in a poor situation, like, you know, floating down the river, do everything you can to safely help them, Mm -hmm. but don't jump in the river. Don't crawl under the debris. Don't lift things up. You know, that's... uh, that can cause you to be injured as well. And like you just said, add more burden to the first response. Yeah. And going back to Chris's initial question, what does that mean? We're here to help. Right. Yeah. I get, I get this and i tell you, I got it a lot post Katrina when I worked Katrina. That was a big one. That mm-hmm. was a lot of controversial. That was, that was my too. most yeah. memorable, but the main question was where is FEMA? Right. We're talking still a week, maybe two post storm. Just because you don't see our folks, when I say our folks, our folks in the the jackets with the yellow letters on the back of them, doesn't mean that FEMA's not already there, right? FEMA's response isn't just to give aid post a storm. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is people see the the jackets on the screen and, and expect them to be going and handing out band aids right. and doing first aid and cutting checks and stuff, but FEMA is is a is a is a planning body like a coordinating body like FEMA calls in Red Cross and FEMA coordinates mm-hmm. putting you know food trailers where they need to go right so I mean, it's a lot of coordination. The key word is management agency, yes. federal emergency. So go back management to Katrina agency. and you've got you've got the. Uh, Coast Guard going in doing rescues. You've got uh, the Army going in doing rescues in their helicopters. That's all because of that federal declaration, right? They've got their own section, but it's being driven by the FEMA response. And you see mutual aid from across the country there. That's all directed by FEMA. You know, FEMA has, I think uh, AMR is is the uh, ambulance contractor that's at least currently for the federal government. You see AMR ambulances everywhere in a disaster zone. That's, well, that's FEMA. That's them coordinating them, telling them where they need them. And, well, just uh, uh, last September, whenever Hurricane uh, Laura and Delta mm-hmm. and all the other of, other storms that hit Louisiana last year, uh, which is my home state, and I was down there for Laura, went into a restaurant to eat, and I said, that truck looks awfully familiar to me. <laughs> and it was the entire special ops team from Nashville Fire Department. Wow. And so we had supper in Alexandria, Louisiana, of all places. <laughs> and, you know, it was good to see them. It was good that they're local people that I know, mm-hmm. but yet also down in Louisiana helping you know, people from my home state. Right. And, you know, that just made me feel good. And that's what's cool. I've, I've seen the post effects of a lot of disasters and I've seen a lot of numbers, I mean, a lot of letters on jackets that I don't recognize and a lot of companies that you don't recognize. So people come out to help after disasters. They come from afar. But the thing to remember, going back to preparedness, is that after a disaster where there's thousands of people affected, there are not enough people to give you one-on-one service. So you have to be self-dependent and you have to be able to know it's some first aid or, you know, what to do, where to go. You have to be able to help yourself because there's not enough people in this country that can get there, you know, quick enough to help you. And, you know, the thousands of other people that are affected instantaneously. And And the more you can help yourself, the more burden is lifted from all these people. They can help the people that are seriously in need. That's it. But you also have to think of it's not just a federal government approach either, right? Right. We're there in support of the state, 
and in support of the local officials, they're still the ones calling the shots. Mm-hmm. Just because the feds are there doesn't mean that we're in charge. They we're don't not take in charge. Over. Right. We're there to support them. But the holistic approach following a disaster isn't just your local government, your federal government. It's your uh, faith-based faith-based organizations, right? Mm, It's your Red Cross and Salvation Army. It's your just community volunteer programs. Local churches. Red Cross, don't they have like a a, um, chainsaw group that just goes around and cuts trees, right? Yeah, chain gang. Chain gang. (laughs) But you would be surprised. I have driven through um, an area after a disaster and, you know, houses look fine, but there's trees over the road yeah. and mm-hmm. you need to get somewhere. So yeah, in the middle of a disaster, you're thinking food, you're thinking water, but the dude shows up with a chainsaw. He's the most important person there. He can move a tree and let, let people come um, help. Yep. So, I mean, it's and, little things like that, that tie together. And you got to think too, we all like that help, but you also got to remember in the back of your head is, are these people that are showing up in my yard really here to help me? Right. Because, yes, you have a huge influx of people from across the country that come in to help, but you also have those bad actors as well. Sure. And so part of my job is to get that information out as well to say, look, you know, whenever somebody shows up on your doorstep saying, hey, we go come move this tree from you. I'm I'm from Bob's Tree Service. I'm here to help. You know, ask those questions. Great. I want your help, but are you insured? Are you licensed? Where are you from? Where's Where are you your from? Address? How long have you been in business? Are you going to charge me? Yep. Or is this just uh, out of the kindness of your heart? If so, I'm not paying you until the job's done. You know, any of these businesses that come to you and say, well, we need 50% up front, we urge you not to use them. Mm. Because nine times out of 10, you go give them that check, you'll never see them again. They'll be gone. And you didn't know that they came from Wyoming, right. you know, to help in Florida. There's, you know, we... Well, I don't want to say we, speaking of an agency, but I call them uh, hail chasers, uh, H-A-I-L, hail chasers. That right. You know, they literally go out and chase hailstorms. Roofing contractors are really big into that, yes. I've noticed, after a disaster. And I, I remember seeing so many of them after the tornadoes in, in uh, Wilson County. Yeah. In those neighborhoods, they were literally like they're different trucks with different labels on them yep. parked everywhere, yeah. trying to talk to everybody. And and they flooded Facebook with ads. And I actually mm-hmm. the the last tornado, I had some damage to my home, and uh, and I saw it, it's we go back to like our cell phones listening to us. I am sure my cell phone heard me like cursing to the heavens about <laughs> the tree that fell on this studio in my mm. house. And so all of a sudden, I'm slammed with these ads that people have craftily, you know, it's not just a, a roofing contractor and a truck. They're they're very adept to internet ads, and it targeted, you know, right. me because I had ads popping up for all these contractors, but um, they're not from here. No, you know, I had several. They they drive around the neighborhood afterwards, and they're. St- I'm not. I probably had four people stop from roofing contractors, not from here. And like as soon as they see storms, they they roll out, mm-hmm. and you know. I'm not paying anything up front for that, but you don't know where they're from. And yeah, I really could have used my roof to be tarped, but not paying half up front, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And and the cool thing is with um with a lot of these, I, at least the one that I've experienced with the with the uh Tennessee tornadoes recently. Um I I I was fortunate enough to be able to take off work and then jump on uh this volunteer crew that the city of Lebanon had made, or I guess the county and the city kind of together. Um, and uh, they put a bunch of us on uh, several school buses and put 
police car in front, police car in back, and we ran emergency traffic in a school bus to these disaster zones That's and got awesome. to help. Pick. It was it was one of the coolest experiences ever. But man, there there were three or four school buses full of just people volunteering from the community out there going to pick up stuff and cut down trees, and that was just a. It was so. Um, refreshing to see after and disaster that everyone wants re- to help. That's what rebuilds a community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got the outside support, but you need that core. Yeah. You need that community involvement. I don't know if that's something special about Tennessee or, or this town or not, but is it everywhere? Wow. That's great. I see it everywhere. It's really I go. good. So there is still some humanity out there. Absolutely. This doesn't get a lot of press. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. You got to look really hard for it sometimes, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Unfortunately, and it's true. I'll tell you, though, when I, whenever I'm doing an interview on, you know, be it a national network or on a local news, I try to add, to put a plug in there about something that I saw throughout the week or, you know, even that day um, with the community involvement, because I think it's important to highlight that, you know? Yeah. The, they're not looking for that um, that recognition. Or else they wouldn't be there, right? You know, they're they're there solely to help, and you know, to that point, it just needs to be recognized. Absolutely. So, is there one thing that you find out of, out of all the disasters that you've been to, and, and the things you've been involved in? Is there one thing that kind of stands out as the most memorable? I just always go back to Katrina. That that's it for me. I mean, we all know what that was. We all saw the pictures, and. Just the the mere desperation, I think, is what what affected me most. And again, that's that's my stumping grounds. That's where I grew up, mm-hmm. Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And to be down in that area, working every single day, uh, was emotional, was tiring, uh, was eye opening, and it really showed me. Granted, I knew the area, but it really showed me uh, what I'm thankful for. Sure. Right? And, you know, most of my deployments are in anywhere from 30 to 60 days. That was every bit of a nine-month deployment. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was I, a lot of cleanup. I didn't wow. want to leave. So, you know, they're like, Craig, you got to go home. You know, <laughs> you've, you have to go home. You've been here long enough. You need and to I'm go. And I'm like, no, I'm staying. I'm staying for the long haul. And I did. I spent, you know, that was at the end end of August of 2005. I spent Thanksgiving down there. I spent Christmas down there. You know, New Year's down there. But, wow. You know. Just so much to do. So much to do. And I felt a personal connection to it in which, you know, those of us that are in public safety, we don't like to have that personal connection. Right. But. Not only is it just personal because that's where I'm from, but my family still lives there, right? Oh, yeah. And so while Christmas wasn't the same, Thanksgiving wasn't the same, uh, we still found time to connect and still embraced what was going on, uh, but also truly giving thanks to what, you know, what truly matters, and that is we're alive. Yep. Uh, We have another day in front of us. And another day to be better, and another day to help an, help another neighbor. Hmm. So where you've been back, I'm sure since then, um, Katrina really changed the landscape. Like what what is significantly different now? Are, are construction companies, you know, are codes different? What what has really changed the most? C- codes have changed dramatically after action plans came into play. Yeah, 
big time. You know, not only on a local level, but on a federal level. You know, we had a, uh, a Katrina oversight committee that looked at even our response. And a lot of the ways that, or a lot of the things that, that we do on a federal level through FEMA changed all as a result of Katrina. And, uh, you know, so there were things that we did well. There were things that we could have done better. And there were things that, you know, um, just weren't done well at all. Right. And that's not from a federal standpoint or a local standpoint. That's a holistic standpoint. Sure. Right. And those are the things you have to take that and learn from it. I mean, to be able to admit a mistake, this is a life lesson coming here, but, you know, the ability to admit admit a mistake and say, I was wrong, and then, you know, figure out how you were wrong and then how you can do it better next time, that goes way beyond, like, you know, FEMA and disaster response. That's just kind of part of life. Well, part of, I mean, even coming as a recommendation from that board um, that, Fire departments use, still to this day, local agencies use, um, you know, is the uh, response plan that you can expand, right? Your different divisions when it comes to firefighting from a, you know, a shed out back that's on fire versus an entire apartment complex that's on fire versus, you know, skyscrapers or something, you know, the... It's completely expandable. Yep. Modular. The incident command system Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that you can expand it is a result of that uh, that board and commission that was formed after Hurricane Katrina. And that's something that, like you just said, it is used from the smallest house fires mm-hmm. to uh, the largest forest fires and, and tornado yeah. events. And, and it's very, I mean... It's comprehensive. It's, it's really amazing how simple it is. You know, once you, once you get past the terms and things, it really is just a logical progression. And it, and it helps with... Um, that communication between elements and between um, agencies uh, so that there's not a lot of... Um, the interoperability. Right. There's not a lot of, hey, to go do this, but I thought someone else told me to go do this. Yep. There's none of that. It, it, at least there's not when it's done correctly. There's no question. Web AOC. I think the best thing that came out of Trina is NIMS and, yep. and the ICS. And if anybody goes and looks all the all that's public information look at the ICS forms you can use that you know in regular life i mean yep. it's designed to take any event and use there's there's things that you may not use like communications plans and you know things of that nature but the general concept between incident command could be used for anything if you're planning a backyard party yeah. you know it's you an can incident. have incident, yeah. yeah incidents um, are not bad things or good things they're they're incidents they're just hey so i a, mean we don't use it for emergencies but we use it for our local fair here Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that incident command structure, uh, I, I know we pull things from it in order to run that. Sure. Because at the end of the day, you have to know something's not going on right now, but you have to know if something happens, who is available? What do you have in store? How are you going to talk to each other? Mm-hmm. What are the community resources? You have to have that pre-plan. That may be probably the best thing that came out of Katrina. Um by a long shot. And if you're interested in that, you can take um, courses for free on yeah. FEMA's website. And you know you can learn as far as you want to go. You could probably learn just as much as this guy has as far as knowledge on this if you were to take, to take the time to do it. But Sure. Uh, and most of it is free. I yeah, believe, they're right? short yeah. one, two-hour classes. And mm-hmm. that would prepare – if something happened to your neighborhood, I, I've, I've been around storms in, in this community for a long time, and I never would have thought – you know, I've always been lucky. I've I've seen 
you know, storms hit near me and I've seen people's houses destroyed, but until like something, and it was minor. I mean, I, there were, yeah. there were people in, in much worse condition than I was after the tornado came through, but, um, but until it happens to you, don't really think about it. So know these things like read incident command system, learn how basic first aid, you know, know how to shut off. How many of you know how to shut off the natural gas, you know, line to your house? I mean, little things like that, that you probably will never use, hopefully, but if it ever happens, you might in the back of your head say, oh, you know, a tornado just hit my neighborhood. Maybe I'll I remember how to turn off natural gas. I'll just go through and turn it off. Yeah. Little things like that, I think, come together to help. But you have to have that knowledge. That also helps with uh, understanding the response, right? So you're at home and, you know, your, your house is leveled. What seems like three hours, you know, in most cases is a relatively short time, but you'll also have that understanding of what all is going on in the background to get that response to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, you as a person also do play an important role in this. Like I I mentioned CERT earlier, which is the community emergency response team. I believe we still have a program in our city, um, but it it is about preparing um, members of the community uh, to help do some tasks that first responders may not have time to do in this situation, where the, but they certainly still need to be done. Um, they teach you basic first aid. They teach you search and rescue techniques. They teach you all these different things that um, you can actually take initiative and do if you see the need. Now, obviously, like we said before, don't go to the point where you're putting yourself in extreme danger, where you could become a casualty and therefore add more burden to the system. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do without putting yourself in that danger that relieves emergency response uh, teams. Like 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 uh, Chris said, shutting off the gas lines in your neighborhood. If you have a lot of damaged houses, go shut off the gas lines for those damaged houses. Yeah, or if you, you have a chainsaw, go out, yep. go down your street and cut the trees because the first thing that's going to happen is you know an ambulance or, or an officer is going to try to come help and there's a yep. tree in the road. They don't keep chainsaws in the back of their car. Little things like that help tremendously. Yeah, and like you were just talking about, you know, if if you're in a community and you have that knowledge, right? So just think about these areas along the coast, for instance. You know, hurricane comes through or, you know, a large flooding event or whatever. It could potentially blow a bridge out, which would keep public safety from getting to you to begin with, Mm -hmm. you know, until helicopters can get in and that type of thing. And so, you know, having that, background knowledge of just basic first aid, basic, you know, um, wisdom of this is what I could do in the event of an emergency, you know, that that's important. It's a great party trick. I, hey, I know how to turn my natural gas off. And that, that <laughs> comes in handy sometimes. But Or when somebody's using using a natural gas grill, just go over and cut it off yeah. and let them wonder why it's not working all of a sudden. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I've, I've come to save the barbecue. I know how to turn it back on. Oh, wow. But it all goes back to just being prepared and, you know, learning about your environment, you know, knowing where, where gas shutoffs are, knowing basic first aid, keeping some things around. You may never use it. We hope you don't ever. But the minute you need it, it is the most valuable things in, in your toolbox. So... Use them, study them. Know yep. the hazards that are in your community. Right. Even 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 flooding. I mean, check on flood insurance, right? Yeah. I mean, here in Middle Tennessee, we're not technically in a fault, but one of the largest faults in the United States isn't that far from us, the New yeah. Madrid. Right. We've felt vibrations from it here several times yes. in the last few years. Yeah. I, I remember that. Some and of so those. if that thing ruptures, like truly has a massive earthquake, you know, what do we do? You know, a lot of 
and I remember when I was in elementary school, at least, you know, we did earthquake drills once a year. I remember those. (laughs) Yeah, but they don't do them anymore. No, I mean, I've got school-age children, and I asked, you know, have you ever done an earthquake drill? Well, what's that, Daddy? You know, I I think it's important that even though we don't face these risks every day, that we have that knowledge. Well, think about it this way. Like you said, if the New Madrid Fault does go, there's going to be a whole lot of places that are a lot worse off than Middle Tennessee. Right. And... So we may be left to fend for ourselves because all the other resources are going to the most highly affected areas. That's right. And so that's why it's really important to have your own house in order, have everything ready to go so that you can survive for a month on your own with no electricity, no food, external food coming in. I mean, that's the best you can do. And and you don't have to have some certification. You don't have to be a certain um, a certain age. You don't have to be uh, a male. You can, it just, it doesn't matter. Preparedness is universal for everyone. If you're good at something, you can put those skills to use. If you're good at cooking, learn how to cook without um, uh, a stove or an oven or anything like that. If you're, if you're good at building things, well, keep, keep some tools uh, just stowed away where you might, uh, where you're able to get to them, not in a flood zone, obviously. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can do just to be ready for something like this to happen. There's, we can sit here and talk about all the possibilities all day. That but when it comes down approach. to it, yeah, that when it comes down to it, if your community can get together and organize, you can make a huge difference and recovery might not be as long um, in that case. Well, that is about all the time we have today. Craig, thank you for joining us. Yeah, gentlemen. A lot of information. Um, take it and use it, listeners. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And if you guys have any questions, uh, you know, we obviously can send them if we, if we really need to to Craig, and, and I'm sure he can answer them for you or point you in the right place. So send us an email at uh, Jess, J E S S E, at still love ya with a y-a bro.com or chris's address is the same chris at the address i just said um we've got social media we've got facebook we've got uh you can leave a review on apple podcast and, and we would appreciate opening yeah. apple podcast and just leaving a review good positive or negative yeah absolutely and, and just we'd like to hear your opinion but interestingly if you do have a question about any of this stuff we can totally forward it to craig and he can probably, we'll give you an answer next show sure. if there's any. Yeah, guys, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been fun. We're Thanks. really happy that you came, and it's been a great conversation. We hope our listeners have enjoyed. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Still Love You, Bro. I'm Chris. I'm Jess. We'll catch you next week. Adios. Adios.